Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 10th of March, 2021. This is episode 381 of Bitcoin and Jack Dorsey trolls the entire NFT and Ethereum community. Actually, more the Ethereum community than the NFT community, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. Jack Dorsey just decided to kind of rug pull, and not it's not really a rug pull, but people will call it a rug pull. Uh, Let's just go ahead and start this off with Jack's shit, man. This is hilarious. Jack Dorsey, proceeds from Tweet NFT will go to Africa Relief Charity. You'll get it here in a second. Bitcoin evangelist Jack Dorsey will donate proceeds from his ongoing NFT auction to a charity called Give Directly, according to a new tweet. Yes, 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 he will. And if you don't know what tweet he's, uh, we're talking about here, Jack is uh, using VeChain or something like that to auction his the very first tweet ever. Anyway, he says, last week, the Twitter CEO capitalized on fast-growing NFT hype by tokenizing the first-ever Twitter post, uh, which said, just setting up my Twitter. Though a designated, or through a designated tweet to NFT marketplace, (laughs) and at the moment, someone is willing to pay $2.5 million for a tweet. Okay, it's just bad idea all the way around, but... Uh, they and then they describe NFTs or non fungible tokens, but we know what this shit is. All right, so but this is insane, say the critics. Why would anyone pay for something you can experience for free online? To that, NFT proponents would probably answer that what you're really paying for is the idea of ownership, something intangible and naughty, spelled with a K, by the way, which isn't necessarily tied to utility. The same concepts uh, exist in the traditional art market. It's why Maurizio Catalan's banana taped to a wall piece sold for $120,000. What's valuable is the piece of paper certifying ownership. Okay. Crypto investors drove up the price for Dorsey's tweet over the weekend. Whatever the final number, Jack has said that the proceeds will be converted to Bitcoin and then given to Give Directly's Africa Response Project, which funnels cash directly to families in Kenya, Rwanda, Liberia, and Malawi. The bidding ends on March 21st. So if you missed that, what's happening is that generally speaking, NFTs are on some type you know, of Ethereum, um, Ethereum platform, whether directly on Ethereum itself, like CryptoKitties was, or on some other platform that is somehow or another utilizing the Ethereum token, thereby utilizing the uh, the essential Ethereum blockchain. Yeah, that sale in Ethereum, because people were like, oh, he likes Ethereum now. We're all going to be, he's going to go with Ethereum. No, he's not. He's going to sell his Ethereum for Bitcoin 
and then give it away, which also the fact that he's going to give it away pretty much gives gets him out of any kind of trouble that he could possibly be in with shareholders, board of directors, I don't the SEC, you know, God only knows what kind of trouble he could be drumming up from that. But I just find it funny that he did all this, triggered the living shit out of Bitcoiners from coast to coast and around the world, and then goes days later, oh, by the way, I'm going to sell it for Bitcoin. And I, I honestly think that that's actually kind of hilarious. Although I'm sure that I'm going to be in the minority of that among the maximalists, I just... <clears throat> I can't help but to laugh. And then we go into this OpenSea collector issue, okay? Now, OpenSea is one of the Ethereum platforms that specialize, is one of the largest in the NFT space, right? And as if to be in solidarity with the rest of the people who think, like I do, that NFTs are just all around stupid, okay? And it doesn't matter what platform it's on. If this crap was coming on Bitcoin, I would still call the, the, the whole notion of owning a piece of digital art that is quote unquote verifiably owned is all bullshit. Okay, now check this one out. Turner Wright has this one for Cointelegraph. OpenSea collector quote, pulls the rug on NFTs to highlight arbitrary value. The most single, the single most expensive NFT ever sold went for $6.6 million back in February. A crypto artist known as Neither Confirm <clears throat> reported, or rather recently listed 26 non-fungible tokens or NFTs for sale on OpenSea's digital marketplace. Things took an unexpected turn earlier on Tuesday, however, after the artist changed the images associated with each token from computer-generated portraits into photos of literal carpets. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, it hurts. It's going to be so painful when this actually goes through. It's a knowing comment on a DeFi token exit scam known as a rug pull where a little known token suddenly collapses when liquidity disappears, metaphorically pulling the rug out from under victims' feet. The art pieces, which originally featured people and animal faces in a seemingly stained glass style, <clears throat> are now nothing more than an expensive metaphor for why you can't trust the store value proposition of any asset that maintains an aspect of centralized control. Uh, and then there's a tweet from actual, the actual artist, Neither Confirm, which is at Neither Confirm on Twitter. I just pulled the rug at my NFT collection on OpenSea. Nobody got hurt. It is pre pretty easy to change the JPEG, even if it does not belong to me or it is on auction. I am the artist. My decision, right? A thread from somebody making his living with art, <coughs> art in real life about the value of NFTs. Oh, quote, all discussions about the value of NFTs are meaningless as long as the token is not inseparable from the artwork itself, said neither, neither confirm. What is the meaning of creating an unforgeable token on a highly secured network if somebody can alter, relink, or destroy your possession? As long as the value of your artwork is reliable on a central service, you do not own anything, end quote. 
The current price disparity between the artist's seemingly similar rug or rugs seemed to lend some validity to their claims. At the time of publication, the top bid on many of the NFTs is for under $1, while one, which currently has no offers, is listed for an astonishing $139 quadrillion or around 80,000 times the market capitalization of the entire crypto space. Neither confirm has since implied that they have received more offers on their rugs than they did on the original portraits. Though, <clears throat> though the artist's identity is unknown, they stated on Twitter that their full-time job is making sculptural art under a top-selling artist that regularly sells pieces for more than $10 million. It is unclear if neither confirmed created unique uh, computer-generated rug images to prove their point or simply found pictures of carpets online and turned them into NFTs. The crypto space is currently experiencing a massive boom in the quantity and value of non-fungible tokens. While crypto artists were auctioning their works for up to $130,000 late last year, 2021 has seen NFT prices inflate to once unfathomable amounts. Back in February, the owner of an NFT created by Mike Winkleman, also known as Beeple, resold the piece on Nifty Gateway for a record-breaking $6.6 million. Twitter CEO, yeah, we just we just found that one out. <laughs> Quote, right now, the appeal of NFTs is the status of owning one, said my Ether Wallet founder and CEO Kasala Hamashandra. NFTs are hot in the same way Lambos are hot to Bitcoin purists. Well, they're actually not. Most of the Bitcoin purists don't want a Lambo because it's a worthless fucking vehicle, by the way. They may be fun. And if you really want to drive a Lambo, dude, go rent one. If you've got the money to buy one, save it. Spend 1% of what you have to buy one and go rent one for the day. Rag, rag, buy the insurance, rag it out, and then be done, okay? I'm just saying be done. I think this current version of non-fungible tokens will continue to evolve into bigger and broader use cases. However, neither confirmed claimed <clears throat> that pieces of art are only a store of monetary value if they possess artistic value as well as subjective beauty. Quote, certainly a token can bring a huge benefit for moving rightful ownership, especially for digital art. Without any doubt, there is revolutionary value in distributing ownership. Just the token itself is not the artwork. It certainly can be, but this is a different story, end quote. The artist noted in a pinned tweet that they will donate 51% of all profits from the Rugpull NFT series to charity. Following in Jack's footsteps, I suppose. So this gets in, you know, really gets into the heart of the matter that you just, you just can't trust this shit, okay? NFTs at this point, maybe in the, maybe in the future when a whole bunch of, of, really, you know, not only metaphorical, but esoteric and very real issues around surrounding what ownership means. What is ownership, right? I mean, is it the piece of paper? Is it the fact that I've got, like I've always said, the future of art is hanging on my wall. That's the future of art for me. <clears throat> but does that even mean that I own it? What if somebody comes steals it from me? Who owns it now? Is it the thief? Is it me? Let's say that I've got an, uh, uh, I have a, a, a piece from Brecky Von Bitcoin hanging on my wall. Okay. Ownership right now was conferred to me by the, the piece of art itself. Let's say he attached that as an NFT and I've got a non-fungible token somewhere chilling out on the Ethereum blockchain and somebody still steals the physical piece of art from me. 
Let's say the NFT that shows that I have ownership actually has a high quality, let's say a 4K resolution, and they took a picture of this piece of art, and I mean really went all out. Lighting, professional photography, the whole nine. Now I can look at the piece of art that's been stolen from me on my computer and say, see, I still own that piece of art. I have the NFT and I can still see it on my computer screen. But there's something different about having hanging on your wall or on a pedestal as a sculpture in the middle of your room or something like that. I don't get into sculptures. I, I, I like 2D art that's hanging on the wall, but that's just me. Right? So who's the owner? <clears throat> I mean, what does it mean that I have an NFT? What, what does that actually mean? For me... It means absolutely nothing because some asshole is walking around with my Brecky Von Bitcoin. I don't have the physical piece of art. I've got something digital that I can see on my phone screen, my computer screen. I can pull it up on the World Wide Web somewhere. But honestly, who gives a shit? What am I going to do? Like this next Christmas, go you know, show my sister, hey, look, I've got this NFT. Look, look how fine this art is, except what she actually sees is a picture on my phone. I'm not able to confer to her the importance of the art, right? When I, when I put a hole through my wall for a nail and hang it, and somebody took the time to stretch canvas over, you know, over a frame and apply the paint to it, there's where the work is. The work is in the art itself, not after the art's done and you take a picture of it and then throw it up as an NFT. So be very careful with how we proceed with these NFTs. Even for those of you who are thinking about, well, we can just put it on Bitcoin blockchain. You still have to answer the question, what does ownership actually mean? Okay. It's a tough one. It's a philosophical question that's been driving people mad for not hundreds, but thousands of years. The ancient Greeks used to ask this question to each other in philosophical discussions. What does ownership actually mean? I mean, if you're a slave, you don't even own your own body. I, these are the things that you really need to think about before you start going around saying NFTs is the future of art. No. Until, until somebody figures out once and for all, and they never will, what ownership actually means, dude, the future of art is on my wall. Now, speaking of Twitter accounts and, and whatnot, like Jack and neither confirm, crypto influencers scramble to recover Twitter accounts after suspensions. Helen Parts tells us about it from Cointelegraph. Apparently, a whole bunch of people got suspended. According to a March 10th tweet by Bitcoin podcaster Peter McCormick, at least six crypto-related accounts have been recently suspended by Twitter. The listed accounts include some of the most prominent crypto figures on Twitter, with over 300,000 subscribers like Bitcoin on-chain analyst Willy Wu and BTC stock-to-flow model creator Plan B, as well as crypto advocate The Crypto Dog. Other industry-related accounts like MM Crypto, The Moon, Karush AK and WSB chairman who claims that the account is not associated with Reddit's R Wall Street Bets community have also been suspended. At publishing time, five of the listed accounts remain inaccessible while Willy Woo and Plan B's accounts appear to have been recovered. At the time of writing, 
Plan B's account looks to be fully restored while Willie Wu has around 600 followers. Um, oh, come on. I got to go follow these guys again, dude. Despite a brief suspension of Plan B, Twitter did not take down some of the prominent crypto influencers impersonators. Twitter user Anka Bogarji noted that some fake, fake Plan B accounts like 100 trillion USDT and 100 trillion USDD were not suspended on Twitter as part of the mass series of, of suspensions. On March the 8th, Twitter support stated that the platform has ex been experiencing a rise in cases of mistaken account suspensions. Twitter did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. All right, so at, along with this story, other than the fact that now I got to go find Plan B and Willy Woo, and thankfully in this particular story, they have a list of uh, a direct links to all the, the Twitter accounts. So, but I got to go follow them again because this shit happens a lot. So, along with all this, <clears throat> I'm starting to see and have been seeing over the last couple of weeks a fair few amount of Twitter accounts like uh, Yanowski was one of the latest ones that said, look, man, I, this has gotten so bad that I've got to get a blue check mark. I mean, and I, you know, nobody, is, nobody impersonates me, which means that I must be like, I, I must be bottom of the barrel. <laughs> like when somebody starts impersonating my Twitter account, it's not that I've arrived. It means that people are scraping the bottom of the barrel to get some kind of notoriety, right? But I mean, let's say that let's say that I had fifty times as many Twitter followers. Let's say like I'm like as big as Peter McCormick or something like that, with hundreds of thousands of followers, and then I start getting impersonated a lot. Not a couple of times a week, but like all the time. Is it is that when it's time to go for a blue check mark? I mean, and and we give the blue checks a bunch of shit, but one of the whole reasons that the the quote unquote blue check came about is that their accounts got big enough that people were impersonating them and that can that can really have some really bad effects it's real easy to get fooled on twitter as to whether or not the tweet that you saw giving you information that you're being that you're ingesting it's hard to tell if it came from somebody fake or or the actual real account because our attention spans have been basically blown out of the water and we're really not checking for, you know, things like, yeah, that picture's off or there's something wrong with the, the way the tweets are, you know, that kind of thing. So is it time for, is it time to start going for uh, getting Twitter to recognize our accounts with blue checks? I don't know. I'd rather not because, you know, generally speaking, I find blue checks rather obnoxious, but like Yanowski had to do it. He had no choice, man. And I don't blame him. So just as we go, as we run through, you know, this, as we're running through this cycle, just understand that every platform is going to have this shit happen to them. So be careful out there, please. Crypto volatility shoots up as the United States auctions $38 billions in, billion in bonds. Matt Husey tells us about it from Decrypt.co. <coughs> For those of you who are wondering why we keep talking about the bond market, well, this is one of the reasons why. The crypto markets have been bubbling a lot recently. So much so, MarketWatch will be doing deep dive into the rise of the micro bubble next week, so stay tuned for that. 
Yesterday, the global market cap was on a tear, adding to the 6% gain it made on Monday to reach $1.72 trillion, which is just shy of the all-time high of $1.78 trillion set on February the 21st. But within three hours, it dropped back to $1.66 trillion. At the time of writing, it appears to be back on its way to $1.7 trillion. It was the sharpest drop this month and bore all the hallmarks of the Great Plunge of February 23rd. But things for now appear to be on the mend again. The big caps, Bitcoin and Ethereum, followed the same line. Uh, Bitcoin rose to as high as 55472 according to Nomics, before taking a dive back to 53200 within three hours. At the start of European trading, it's back to 54000 and climbing. Ethereum's price did exactly the same, but I don't give a shit about Ethereum, so I'll skip that part. So what on earth is going on? Bitcoin's volatility is back up into the 5% range after spending much of 2020 closer to 2%. Taking a look at flows in and out of exchanges, something interesting has happened. The Bitcoin supply held on all the exchanges just to hit two-year lows, according to on-chain analytics firm CryptoQuant. That sizable movement suggests most of the money has gone into some form of cold storage, which is creating pressure on prices as there's a lot less Bitcoin to go around. Then there's news <clears throat> that JPM has filed a set of documents with the SEC for a cryptocurrency exposure basket that will provide investors with indirect exposure to Bitcoin via companies who have invested in it, which is, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. And on top of that, several Asia-based companies are trying to lure institutional investors into the crypto markets with a raft of new infrastructure. Externally, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package by the United States government seems to be helping elevate things further. <clears throat> we have seen an increase in interest levels from institutional players globally, Annabelle Huang of crypto financial services firm Amber Group told Bloomberg. In China, a lot of high net worth individuals have been inquiring on how to add Bitcoin to their portfolio. But as we've seen in previous Market Watch reports, there is still strong headwinds in other parts of the global economy that could unsettle prices. And the biggest one this week is the sale of $38 billion worth of United States government treasury bonds. The auction, which traditionally hasn't attracted much attention, is now being studied intensely by investors for signs of what may lie ahead for the Americas and the world's economy. The last time the government tried to auction off bonds to help ease the country's $22 trillion worth of debt last month, sales flopped. Okay, I'm going to stop right there for a sec. This is something that I've, I've, I've wondered about ever since I heard Caitlin Long talking to Trace Mayers about this shit. Okay, Caitlin Long has been in that game for a long time. Right it's, now, she's the she's the woman that's in Wyoming that's helping Wyoming become a very crypto friendly state in the United States. She's been in finance for like I don't know thirty years. She has had to deal with with the with the ramifications of bonds and stuff. So she knows enough. She knows more than enough about it to understand and and to understand it and why it was that she said the following quote: One of these days. A treasury bond auction is going to fail. And when that happens, watch out. Okay, so we've had bond auctions uh, sales flop at this point and at other points, but not a full-blown failure. Okay, we're still waiting for the full-blown nobody wants it. 
nobody, in which case the only people that can stand up and, and buy them is going to be the Federal Reserve. And how? Money printer go burr. How else do you think? But we're getting very close to that moment that Caitlin Long was talking about. Very close. Wildly close. The kind of close, you don't want to be this close. All right? Anyway, the sales flopping led to a cascade of uncertainty across global markets as U.S. government debt is used as a benchmark for everything from car loans to credit cards, Bitcoin and crypto did suffer. Why is this important for investors with shorter-term investment horizons? If the sale isn't success the government will have to offer higher interest rates on the debt to drum up more interest in the sale. This sets the scene for what could be fireworks between the government's ability to raise capital and the investors who traditionally buy them. During the 1980s, so-called bond vigilantes held the United States government to ransom by refusing to buy bonds because they disagreed with government policy. The $1.9 trillion stimulus bill is a point of contention among, among some investors as the influence of new money could force up inflation and interest rates, which companies want to prevent, as it's allowed them to spend and borrow their way through COVID. Interest rates are what have been spooking investors recently in a slew of business surveys carried out by the Fed. Businesses were paying the highest prices in a decade and that an index of raw industrial commodities led by copper has shot up faster than it did after the financial crisis. The increase in the cost of doing business is being interpreted by some as a warning sign that the United States economy could be overheating. I don't think that 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 would mean that we're doing business and we're not really doing business. We're just printing money, y'all. The frothiness that we're experiencing in markets now, especially in tech stocks, miraculous performance on the NASDAQ yesterday could be little more than a dead cat bounce. Francis Newton Stacy, director of strategy at Optimal Capital, told Yahoo Finance, please do tread with caution. <clears throat> Some scary shit out there. And I don't know exactly how to navigate it myself. And if I don't know, and I'd be, you know, once you get into Bitcoin, you end up getting into economics. I've been sitting around for like, you know, five years at one point or another, more and more giving a shit about macroeconomics. And I I guarantee you, if I don't know how to navigate this shit, mom and pop that's down the street with their little vape store that I go to, they don't know shit. They don't know shit about any of this. <clears throat> And it's really scary because they'll, I mean, they're going to be affected and they're the people that know the least about why they're being affected. So you want to gin up, you want to gin up like serious or foment serious, you know, ill will in the population. Make sure that you affect their lives through a mechanism that they have absolutely no idea even exists. That's a good way to gin up, to foment some serious problems, man. Now, J.P. Morgan, who sees the writing on the wall, plans to launch a basket product of companies with exposure to Bitcoin. So in a, in a old man legacy move that they can possibly only potentially understand, we have J.P. Morgan not actually allowing people to buy Bitcoin, but exposure to companies who have bought Bitcoin. That's basically what it is. Thomas M. tells us about it. The number of SEC filings on Tuesday reveal plans by J.P. Morgan to launch what it calls a cryptocurrency exposure basket 
of 11 stocks by companies considered to have some exposure to Bitcoin and or cryptocurrencies. According to the documentation, the included U.S. listed stocks were selected based on whether JPM believed that they were directly or indirectly related to cryptocurrencies or other digital assets, including as a result of Bitcoin holdings, cryptocurrency technology products, cryptocurrency mining products, and digital payments or Bitcoin trading. The basket includes names familiar to the Bitcoin space, such as MicroStrategy, Square, Riot Blockchain, PayPal, and CME, among others. The product would give investors a new avenue to pursue exposure to Bitcoin without holding their private keys. I'm sorry, they they actually spelled uh, without buying Bitcoin themselves wrong. Uh, Despite the telling name, J.P. Morgan states in the filings that the notes do not provide direct exposure to cryptocurrencies. And the performance of the basket may not be correlated with the price of any particular cryptocurrency, such as Bitcoin. The developments come after JP Morgan recently sent a report to clients of its JP Morgan private bank, which included educational material on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. So JP Morgan's getting into bed with it, but in a way that JP Morgan understands. Because they still, I don't think they still understand what this all actually means. They're just racing to the door to get in. That's what this is. One of the largest, oldest, quote unquote, most respected banks in the world literally has no idea how to directly buy and hold Bitcoin. I'm sure they do, but they don't know why. Otherwise, they would just be doing that. Right. So, of course, then again, it should be said that by regulation, they're not allowed to custody Bitcoin for customers. And in that respect, this actually does make sense. However, there's no reason why they can't start an ETF and spin that out. I, so I don't get it, but I, I think this is just like we got to move quick. This is the quickest thing that we can do. We're already set up to do it. We're already regulated to do it. Let's fucking roll. I think that's what it is. Probably the same reason the German bank Donner and Ruschel is launching Bitcoin services. This is from Darius Z from BTC Times. Donner and Ruschel, a private bank in Germany founded in, get this, 1798, is planning to launch crypto asset services. FinanceMagnates.com reported on March 9th that Donner and Ruschel announced plans to launch a suite of crypto asset services, including Bitcoin trading, uh, digital asset custody, and asset tokenization. The bank reportedly decided to launch these new products in response to market demand. According to a spokesperson for the financial institution who says, quote, We have been observing the digital assets market for quite some time and are convinced of the potential of blockchain technology with regard to classic securities transactions. Donner and Ruschel is leveraging distributed ledger consulting for help with deploying its new services. While the bank has not specified a launch date, it highlighted that they will be made available as soon as possible. The spokesperson further explained that the bank is convinced that the technology developed for Bitcoin will bring major changes to the world's financial landscape. Quote, blockchain technology will result in the greatest structural change in the financial industry that I have been able to experience so far in my 20-year banking career, end quote. 
This is just the latest example of institutional Bitcoin adoption in a slew of announcements that came out this past year. In February, a World Economic Forum report suggested that Deutsche Bank plans to open up institutional digital asset custody platform of its own. The United States' oldest bank, BNY Mellon, has also announced its own Bitcoin custodial offering. Earlier today, the head of digital assets at investment bank Goldman Sachs confirmed plans to launch Bitcoin futures trading and added that 40% of the bank's institutional customers already had exposure to digital assets. So there you go. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just happening everywhere. Everywhere we look, it's like the whole thing is, uh, is just gaining momentum hand over fist. <clears throat> but never forget, and I'll remind you about it in the second half of the show, the assholes are out there in force. Let's run the numbers. CNBC forward slash, or I'm sorry, CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities. Uh, we have the energy futures. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, is up half a point. Brent North Sea is up a third of a point. Natural gas is down 0.68%. Shiny metal rocks, mostly down, as you might imagine. Gold is down 0.36%. It's at $1,710. Silver is coming in at 25.77, and it's down 1.5%. So it's got, got kind of pummeled. Platinum is also down almost a half a percent. Copper is up by 1%, and palladium is down by one-third of 1%. Now, let's see, where are we at? Indices, uh, mixed. <clears throat> Dow futures up 0.36. S&P futures up 0.12, NASDAQ futures down 0.04, and the S&P mini is up one-third of a point. U.S. Uh, 30-year bond, uh, uh, God, prices have changed. Uh, downside, 0.16% uh, for the 30-year futures and down 0.04 for the 10-year, up 0.02 for the five-year and up 0.01 for the two-year bond. So let's talk about real money. Bitcoin is at $55,128.64. I've got a high, that's going to be my high, and I've got a low, and it's going to come in at Coinbase Pro at $54,848. 307,500 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us about 13,000 transactions on average per hour with 543,500 BTC being sent in that period. That means that 22,646 BTC are being sent every hour on the hour with 1.77 BTC being the average transaction value and the median transaction value being 0.021 BTC or about $1,100. Block times are pegged right on time, 10 minutes. We have 0.7 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 102.16 BTC being taken in fees over the last 24 hours and hash rate took a smash. 10% to the downside brings us back to 150.8 exahashes per second. Doge at 5.7 cents. However, what's still funny about Doge, it has a higher market cap than Bitcoin SV and just is coming in just behind Bitcoin Cash uh, on its market cap. And Bitcoin Cash is, oh God, is suffering. It's, 
it's it's 100 times and more less expensive than bitcoin 100 i mean 100 times it's chilling out at what is it chilling out at 535 bucks they said it was going to be the next thing if you're holding a bag of it i'm sorry i really am let's talk to clark moody for a sec we have 41,866 transactions waiting to onboard 87 blocks to clear that train. We also have $1.03 trillion of Bitcoin market capitalization, which is 9.23% of gold's market cap. Bitcoin priced in gold is now one kilo. No, actually, it's not one kilo. It's 32 ounces. One kilo is 2.2 pounds, and there's 16 ounces per pound, so we need... Uh, we need like a, like a, uh, we need to be around what, uh, 36, 36 ounces of gold is a, a kilogram, I believe. I don't know. I'm not going to do the math right now, but we're almost close to a kilogram of gold for one Bitcoin. We are way beyond, you know, we've got way beyond ounce Bitcoin parity and we're now about to hit a Bitcoin kilo of gold parity. If you remember, there was... <clears throat> There was the issue of uh, Bitcoin dollar parity. And I think that was in like, you know, 2010. It will never reach a dollar. Never. Yeah, right. Okay. Uh, total capacity for the Lightning Network is 1,140 BTC. That's a capacity of $63.1 million in the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network nodes are 9,387 and it's running 39,046 channels. Tor capacity ticked back up 54.0% and there is 615.65 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. Let's go ahead and run this one. Uh, the money supply for Bitcoin is 18,649,905.09 BTC being in circulation, and that's going to do it for vitals. A brave new partnership between Blockstream and Acre ASA. Welcome. To part two of the morning roundup. This is actually directly from Blockstream's own blog where they're announcing this uh, partnership with Acre. Acre ASA, if you remember correctly, sent waves in the industry on Monday when they invested all of their liquid assets into Bitcoin <clears throat> directly through a finance arm that they created called CT, uh, which you can find, I think it's CT underscore IO on Twitter. If you want to go look at, at what they're what they've been saying, <clears throat> but in their in their investor report or the shareholder letter that was written to accompany this announcement uh, was the partnership between Blockstream and and Acre, and I didn't really talk about it yesterday. I certainly didn't talk about it on Monday because I didn't know the full you know the full ramifications of of what it meant when Acre did what they did. But even more news is coming out and literally pouring out of this entire deal. So Norway has never been more important to Bitcoiners as it is right now. But let's read this one from Blockstream. While Bitcoin is well on the way to transforming the financial industry, it also holds the potential to bring about radical improvements in global energy distribution. By providing controllable energy demand, Bitcoin maximizes existing energy production. Non-viable energy sources are suddenly practical, 
particularly renewables and stranded energy resources. It also becomes economical to build power generating facilities that can get support that can support extreme surges in energy demand. Today, we are very excited <clears throat> excited to real reveal our latest partnership with CT to pursue solutions in this field. CT is a new subsidiary of Acre, a major player in energy infrastructure based in Norway, dedicated to investing in projects and companies throughout the Bitcoin ecosystem. Quote, by merging Acre's industry, industrial capabilities and experience with Blockstream's leading position in Bitcoin and blockchain technology, we believe that both parties can greatly accelerate the pace of development and that was the, their uh, Acre CEO in his uh, shareholder letter. At Blockstream, we believe renewable and alternative energy will power the future. However, much of the usable solar, wind, and hydroelectric power is stranded in remote locations where there is little demand for the energy. Bitcoin presents a solution. By combining Blockstream's Bitcoin mining operations with our satellite network, we can fully utilize these energy sources anywhere on the planet. Anywhere in the world, power grid demand is highly variable, with demand rising and falling through the day. But energy production sources must meet peak demand and often can't be reduced during periods of lower demand. Therefore, the excess energy gets wasted. This leads to many inefficiencies and complicates grid management, particularly when it comes to renewables. Bitcoin fixes this, offering a means of balancing traditional grid demand with renewable energy production output. When energy production exceeds demand, we can apply that ex excess energy to securing the Bitcoin network through mining. At other times, when demand exceeds production, we can shift energy away from mining to meet the needs of homes and businesses. By dynamically balancing energy demand through Bitcoin mining, Blockstream enables greater scale and significantly improves the economics of renewable energy products. In turn, this will accelerate investment in alternative energy globally. CT and its parent Acre have extensive renewable energy assets around the world. This opens up new doors and enables us to pursue even more ambitious projects in Bitcoin mining. Our partnership with CT will improve power grid efficiency, drive further investment in renewable energies, and act as a catalyst to a more sustainable future, all while improving Bitcoin security in the process. In addition to Bitcoin mining, we're also working closely with CT to explore financial products for industrial applications using the liquid network and elements e.g. foreign exchange, cash management, and trade settlements. If you would like to explore ways of integrating Bitcoin mining with your business, get in touch with our team. Hey, Samson, I might just do that. So <clears throat> this is interesting, and it's going to piss a lot of people off because they are getting themselves all fired up and, in, and investing themselves into hating on Bitcoin because we're going to boil the oceans. Is that next? Nope, it's not quite next, but I guarantee you we'll, we'll end up there here in a sec. Crypto Fund Grayscale is hiring specialists for an ETF. All right, so Grayscale is what's called a closed-end fund, and they're getting their asses handed to them on premiums because now there's at least two, and possibly as of this morning, three Canadian ETFs, which you can do business with as an American uh, or American business. Uh, so there's not really a need for a closed-end fund now that we've got a whole bunch of exchange-traded funds. So what's the best thing to do for Grayscale? <laughs> well, to convert themselves into the first North American United States-based ETF. That's what I believe is going on here. Shara Mal was going to tell us more from Decrypt.
Institutional Cryptocurrency Fund Grayscale is making nine key hires for roles focused on exchange-traded funds. Job listings on its career page reveal, quote, Grayscale Investments is seeking a specialist to support in the creation and redemption process of Grayscale's exchange-traded fund products as well as business expansion plans, is reads one listing. Grayscale's trust products, modeled after ETFs, are widely popular and manage over $42.1 billion across large-cap cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. These products hold a small amount of spot crypto per share sold to investors and can be either subscribed to or purchased on the open market. ETFs, on the other hand, track an asset's price more effectively and allow for more accurate bets on the price movements of those assets. While Grayscale does not offer such products so far, its recent job posting suggests that it is moving in that direction. Roles range from legal officers to ETF creation specialists to sales directors for designing and pitching Grayscale ETF products to other investors. The firm also seeks a relationship manager to ensure such projects are highly liquid and tradable by investors on the open market. One such description suggests that Grayscale could also launch a basket ETF or a single product that allows investors to trade a variety of cryptocurrencies instead of having to trade several single asset ETFs. But despite the job posting, Grayscale has not been approved to offer an ETF yet. The U.S. government has, so far, remained wary of allowing such projects to launch and has turned down over nine applications for Bitcoin ETFs to date. The possibility of market manipulation is said to be the biggest reason for the repeated disapprovals. Firms continue to persist, however. Investment firm Van Eck filed for a Bitcoin ETF product with the Securities and Exchange Commission last year, while the CBOE uh, filed with the authority last week to list and trade shares of the Van Eck product. Meanwhile, Grayscale's hiring comes amidst an explosive opening for uh, Bitcoin BTFs, Bitcoin ETFs in neighboring Canada. The purpose Bitcoin ETF touted as the world's first Bitcoin ETF, and it's off. It's it's not. It's not the world's first, but it's definitely uh, North America's first. Clocked over eighty million dollars in trading volume in the first hour, the first hour of its launch last month, and over one hundred sixty-five million on the very first day. The product now holds over $836 million in Bitcoin less than a month after launch. Holy shit. So this is what I believe is going to happen. The Grayscale as a close-in fund is going to convert themselves into an ETF. And if they do it right, they're going to make a shit ton of money doing that. But we'll have to wait and see. However, for the rest of us normies that usually you know migrate around ATMs and stuff, we have this from Marie Juliet out of Cointelegraph. The number of Bitcoin ATMs in the United States rose 177% over the past year. Since March the 1st, 2020, the number of new Bitcoin ATMs installed worldwide is nearly nearing 10,000, according to the latest data from Coin ATM Radar. The current number of machines stands at 16,835, which is a strong 57.5% increase or 9,683 new machines as compared with 7,152 last year. Back in November of 2020, Cointelegraph had reported a striking year-on-year increase of 80%, as previously the vast majority of machines continue to be located in the United States, where 81% are installed. Within the United States, growth has been unparalleled, rising by 177% since March the 1st, 2020, 
or from 4,945 machines to 13,700 as of March 10th, 2021. <coughs> Pardon me. Canada, the country with the next highest number of Bitcoin ATMs, clocks in at just 1,268, accounting for roughly 7.5% of machines worldwide. Two of the top countries tracked by coin ATM radar, Austria and the United Kingdom, have seen a somewhat jagged trend in terms of Bitcoin ATM installations over the past couple of years. In the former, the number of machines peaked in May 2019 at 266 and has since fallen to 153, which is a decrease of 42.5%. So there you go. ATMs are, are, are starting to come up in the United States. And why is that important as opposed to the UK? Be, and honestly, it's not even really important just yet for the United States. But what it demonstrates to me is that it's coming to the West. Bitcoin is coming to the West. I'm, I'm always continuously more interested in Latin America, Africa, the Baltic states, and things like that. Now I'm becoming increasingly aware of Denmark, Norway, Sweden, you know, the, the very upper end of the European Union nations. But be that as it may, I'm looking, I more or less look at second world stuff and third world stuff for true adoption because those are the people that actually get it. They don't have time to dye their hair some kind of weird fucking color and run around and scream and screech about their fucking pronouns and how we're going to boil the oceans, okay? They don't have time to do that. Why? They're too busy undergoing hyperinflation and finding a safe haven in Bitcoin. That's what they're too busy to do. I mean, that, that's, why, that's why I'm interested in those countries because they get it. What I don't need is some asshole that's got a born with a silver spoon in his mouth going on and on and on about communism when they never grew up in a communist country and don't have any friends whose parents pulled them out of a communist country because of how bad it actually is, right? So again, I'm preparing you for some of the screeching that's going on. Uh, we'll Again, we'll get to it. I'm preparing you. I'm preparing you. Bitcoin bull market spurs China's investors to action, Darius Z tells us from BTC Times. Chinese companies are racing to raise funds to enter into or expand their existing operations in the Bitcoin space, largely thanks to price action, of course. Reuters reported on Tuesday that Chinese Bitcoin mining application specific integrated circuits, or ASICs, Producer eBang based seven, $170 million in two separate funding rounds last month. I think they meant raised, not based. <clears throat> also, conducting an offering in November and launching its shares on NASDAQ in June, Guo Yi, the chief operating officer at Univest Security, said, quote, eBang's growth story is very attractive to institutional investors. Fundraising by all industry players is getting busier thanks to the Bitcoin bull, end quote. Uh, Code Chain New Continent, a local waste recycling firm, raked in $25 million from investors through a share placement last month to fund its Bitcoin mining operations. The company's CEO, David Fang, said that it bought 10,000 mining ASICs since Bitcoin price 
presented the firm with a unique opportunity to establish mining operations. Managing partner at Hong Kong-based blockchain venture capital firm Kinetic Capital, Ji Han Chu, commented that the number of projects launched in this industry in China increased in part to initiatives conducted by major local firms like insurance giant Ping An and financial services behemoth Ant Financial. He added that competition is white hot and filled with sharp elbows. Every good quality funding round is oversubscribed within a week of being announced. Good Lord. The situation is further inflamed by ongoing developments in the United States market. Zhang Chenghao, the co-founder and chief technology officer of Chinese crypto custodian Kobo, said that the recent announcement of major American Bitcoin exchange Coinbase going public will probably make the atmosphere even more intense. Quote, Everyone can feel this euphoric atmosphere in the market. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. And Coinbase's listing would lift the mood further. The market is bullish and our business is growing very, very rapidly. Okay, that's the end of the article, but not the end of my cautionary tale. Things look like they're getting overheated in the market, but we're we're not that far into the cycle, right? I've heard stories that we're right at the midpoint of this cycle. Start being Careful where you allocate and when you allocate dry powder, for what reasons your investment thesis is to get in, all of that stuff, okay? What part of the market you decide? I mean, I honestly just just stack sats, okay? Don't invest in mining firms or any of this shit, okay? I'm just saying, yes, you may get better returns that way, but will they be long lasting? You always want the under, in my opinion, you always want the underlying asset of an industry, right? If, you know, if, if I were into gold, I would want to actually hold the shiny metal rocks. I'm not that interested in miners. I just want the underlying asset all the time. All right, here we go. We're going to start getting into the, uh, uh, the crying and the, and the gnashing of teeth NVIDIA RTX 3060 mines Ether at full power as miners allegedly bypass hash limits. Greg Thompson from Cointelegraph tells us that NVIDIA's attempt to shift Ether miners away from its new GeForce RTX 3060 graphics cards by limiting its hash rate appears to have been short-lived. Screenshots posted by TechLeak Twitter account iLeakVN shows a stack of eight RTX 3060s uh, operating at far above NVIDIA's 20 to 25 mega hashes per second mining limit while reportedly using Ethereum's Dagger Hashimoto mining algorithm. On the same day, a cryptocurrency-focused Facebook group from Vietnam posted a graphic announcement uh, announcing that the RTX had indeed been bypassed and could now reach its full power of 50 mega hashes per second thanks to a mod. Breaking NVIDIA's enforced limits on Ether mining was apparently achieved using a custom modification. So, okay, it got the, the crying and the gnashing of teeth of boiling the oceans caused NVIDIA to put a governor on their video cards that somehow or another only affected mining. I, I don't believe that. I think it probably affected the entire, you know, the entire experience of their new 3060. Because honestly, how could it not? Really? I mean, and if they did do that, then that's probably how it got bypassed so damn quick. Is that they said, okay, well, look, if it's if if we if the card detects 
that it you know this is running on it then we'll we'll throttle back you know the the gpu and if that was the case okay if that was the case then it's going to be really easy to break that shit because at that point you're just you just got to re basically rewrite the firmware and re-upload the firmware into the graphics card and you're good to go which essentially is probably what these guys did in either event, the fact that they got they got manhandled to the point that they had to go do this because we were going to boil the oceans is a little bit hilarious. However, it's not unexpected. Okay, and we're going to get to that. Is it right now? No, let's do this one first. <clears throat> Bankrupt crypto lending platform Cred had a UK fugitive in charge of funds. This is Coindesk James Crawley. Cred, a cryptocurrency platform being investigated by the bankruptcy court in Delaware, had a UK fugitive as its chief capital officer. James Alexander was employed as the CCO of Cred, the crypto lender which filed bankruptcy in November 2020 with liabilities between $100 and $500 million. Alexander has been convicted of crimes related to illegal money transfers in the UK in December of 2007 and sentenced to over three years in prison. According to the court's examiner, court examiner's report filed on Monday, there was a prison break at the facility where Alexander was incarcerated and he was identified by the United States or the UK government as a fugitive. He escaped. He escaped from prison and went and went to go work for Cred. Uh, the examination describes Alexander's participation uh, at, in poor decision making as a recurring theme and an important figure in the story of Cred's demise. Alexander is said to have had free reign to choose how capital was raised and deployed with scant oversight from Cred's boards. Cred's trouble started in March of 2020 when the price of Bitcoin crashed to around 3,500. Which the Bitcoin, which the company's hedge positions were not insulated against, the examiner said. When CEO Dan Shat became concerned about how a CCO had arranged Cred's finances, Alexander allegedly transferred over two point three million dollars in or U.S. dollars in Bitcoin to his personal accounts. <laughs> Talk about a rug pull, and this is a rug pull from within. Okay, the the crying and the gnashing of teeth will continue here in a moment with the daily trade wreck. All right, Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Will Miniker. That's at Will Miniker, although it won't be long before he probably blocks us all, uh, considering the feedback that he's getting from the following. He says, okay, let, let's start it this way. There's a, a Twitter account, iCager, which is I-Y-E, C-A-G-E-R, who had a long rant about how we're boiling the oceans. And I mean, it was a, like a long Twitter thread, just ranting about how, like, and it was essentially started with uh, this whole thing about um, ArtStation uh, putting, uh, that we're, was going to do a bunch of NFTs. Now, ArtStation, because of all the pushback they got from their artist about boiling the oceans, has cheesed out of their NFT offering and has decided to either delay or and who knows if they completely scrap it. So this poor girl's going on and on and on or guy or whatever, but pronouns were in the in the bio, so do with that what you will. 
went on and on and on about how we're boiling the oceans and how she is an artist. It, it just hates art station because they're even considering, you know, destroying the earth for art and all that kind of shit. Okay. Her pronouns were really bouncing around there. So this guy, Will Meneker retweets part one part of that thread. And it was, uh, and since, since then I care giver, uh, has taken her account private because you know, skinless grape and all that. Uh, these guys are really soft people. I mean, they are really soft. They cannot take any kind of criticism at all. So far, Will's account is still up, but the thread that he's, or the the tweet that he's retweeting this by, I can't actually read it to you anymore because the user took their account private because everybody's giving her shit. And everybody's giving Will Meneker shit because he said this about that particular tweet. Every single one of these places should be hit with a predator drone. By the way, I'm pretty sure Will Miniker has pronouns in his bio too. You can always tell every fucking time, every fucking time one of these people starts bitching and moaning. The first thing I do now is go to their bio and check for pronouns. If I see pronouns, I know we're talking about a skinless grape. And that's what we have here is a skinless grape. Now, the funny thing is, is that Alex Gladstein himself, Human Rights Foundation guy, comes up and says, so you'd prefer the currency which is supported by the violent threat that the, we, we, we will come and invade and destroy your country and install a new ruler if you sell oil in anything other than dollars, as opposed to one that could be powered by running on water or wind or sunshine? He's got a point. He's got a good point. The, the footprint of the United States military to defend the dollar around the world because that, in fact, is what's actually going on. We're not bringing freedom to the poor you know, people in, the, in Northern Africa. We're bringing the dollar, or more technically, we're making sure that they continue to use the dollar in all aspects of their life, not just pricing shit in oil, okay? That's the truth. If you can't handle that, I'm sorry, I, I really am, but we're not, we're not bringing freedom. We're not defending freedom around the world. We're defending the dollar around the world. And the, the carbon footprint, if you want to go there, of the United States military is unimaginable. And so what I said to the guy was, hey, look, man, good luck with all that because you got to convince the United States Congress to transgress Every single jurisdiction in the world with the United States Navy, Air Force, and ground forces and burn billions of gallons of fuel into the atmosphere to bring said predator drones to every mining facility on the planet all at the same time. Good luck with that. <clears throat> These people do not understand this, uh, how, the infrastructure here. And I doubt that they ever will. There's... In my mind, there's a bifurcation coming. There will be people that are able to live freer because they got out of the cities and they are nowhere close to them and they're, they're, they become uninteresting to, the, to governments around the world because they're not easily corralled in the cities. Those people, I guarantee you, will mostly be functioning on a Bitcoin economy. Right? I'll, I'll even give them cryptocurrency economy, okay? That they'll be more likely to not to just completely detach themselves. People like Will Miniker cannot survive outside of a city and his pronouns. 
Okay, he cannot survive without Starbucks and lattes and pronouns and bullshit. He will stay in the city. Okay, he will use government fiat. So there will have be two types of people: people that use government fiat and are corralled in cities, and people who do and, and eat shitty food, by the way, and those who live out not in the wilderness but out in the country out in the sticks out in the boonies hell even the the urban rural fringe is going to be safer than being in inner city chicago they will be uncorralled they will eat healthy food because most of us are starting to become very very interested in growing our own food growing our own meat and all that kind of stuff and we are completely disinterested in using fiat currencies and the fact that we would be so scattered around It'd be very, very difficult to get somebody in the government interested enough to come corral us all up because we're over hundreds of millions of square miles as opposed to tightly formed in a nice little herd like New York City, which has what, nine square miles at best for eight million people? Who do I want? Who, who, who's easier to control here? You just keep that in mind going forward and let's. Let's have a let's go ahead and do a joke because that's getting a little grim for me. Uh, how do you clone a plant? Stem cells. <laughs> Bitching, huh? All right. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day. <laughs>